0: Welcome back to Creative Principles. I am your host, Brock Swenson. Now, normally, this is where I interview amazing writers, screenwriters, authors, creatives, musicians, all types. But over the next 15 or 16 episodes, we're doing something very special and actually giving away my first book, Ink by the Barrel Secrets from Prolific Writers, the full audiobook, over these next several episodes. If it's your first time here, make sure to hit that subscribe button. We will be back to interviews very soon. But this is part of my mission this year to give away 100,000 copies of my book. So if you haven't already grabbed your copy, go over to brockswinson.com. You'll see a link to the PDF, that's a digital download, and audiobook, which you're about to listen to here. You'll also see at brockswinson.com access to things like the free 30-day prolific writing challenge and also some other challenges built around writing, such as the Upwork Unfair Advantage, which will teach you how to be a six-figure freelancer. You can also find courses such as how to write a nonfiction book in 12 weeks, and some upcoming screenwriting and TV writing courses as well, along with my brand new one-on-one mentorship Storyteller Launchpad. All that's over at brockswinston.com, but now let's jump into Ink by the Barrel Secrets from Prolific Writers. In this book, which I wrote around episode 250 of the podcast, across these episodes you'll learn things like how to annihilate writer's block by embracing the playful trickster mentality or how to weaponize your anxiety with the different is better approach, how to defend your time with the calendar anorexia mindset, what it means to create ruthless prioritization and use the urgent versus important system. And, probably most importantly, how to avoid self-sabotage. It's all on the pages of Inked by the Barrel, Secrets from Prolific Writers. And make sure to join my email list to learn about my upcoming book, The Self-Reliant Artist. All that's over at brockswinson.com. Chapter 3. Annihilate Writer's Block Block. It puts some writers down for months. It puts some writers down for life. John McPhee To be blunt, writer's block is bullshit. There, I said it. I'll say it again. It's complete and total bullshit. It's not real. It's not a real thing. It feels real, sure. But that doesn't mean anything. Feelings are just feelings. Action is action. You as a writer are looking for action. The action of putting words on the page. Writer's block, on the other hand, is not action. Writer's block is perception. Specifically a false perception accepting it or not, preparing for it or not, that's the problem. That is real. That said, I believe that you might believe in the looming tower of writer's block, the way children believe in Kris Kringle. But that doesn't really mean anything either, now does it? So what is it? What is this feeling? Let's hypothetically believe in the myth for a moment in order to debunk it. Writer's block has something to tell us because it's speaking from the soul's point of view, which is often ignored, says depth psychotherapist Philip Ruddy. No two creative blocks are alike. If you ask me the most common type of creative block, I would say that it is an expressive creative block. But what usually lies beneath that is some form of anxiety or depression. Let's start with the hypocritical approach to get our foot in the door. Writing is important, but it's not that important. Putting pressure on yourself to write the next great American novel or pen a New York Times bestseller would put any writer down for the count. The same is true when you hope a book or screenplay will make you famous or help you get rich. To avoid giving a creative block power over your ability to produce work, first examine your approach to the work. In the book big magic author elizabeth gilbert refers to the two journeys a would-be writer can take to become a have written writer one path is dreadful and painful every step of the way the other path is playful and fun every step of the way gilbert refers to these two journeys as paths of the tortured martyr and the playful trickster the first one is associated with anyone who's ever purposefully tried to hit rock bottom for the sake of their work This is the iconic cliché of being a writer. The second one is associated with playful writers who sit in the chair every single day for the blissful joy of writing, whether or not they receive any form of recognition for their work. Most individuals aren't fully one version or the other, but if you can navigate yourself in the direction of the playful trickster, Gilbert argues you'll be closer to finding satisfaction in the daily grind of the work. With this mindset, the act of writing won't be a task you dread, but rather something that gives the seemingly mundane a purpose. In other words, you won't just be laying bricks, but building a cathedral. I can make my creativity into a killing field, or I can make it into a really interesting cabinet of curiosities, reasons Gilbert. The magical aspects of her book come in the purview in which she views the creative spirit, her view on writer's block is the same as her view on inspiration in The Mysterious Muse. If inspiration is allowed to unexpectedly enter you, it is also allowed to unexpectedly leave you. She believes ideas are looking for outlets, and it's actually possible that if you fail to act on an idea, it will move on to someone else. Then, when you see your idea come to life from another writer, you realize the, quote, magic left you and eventually found its way to another outlet. Whether or not you buy into this idea, the sense of urgency she creates around getting ideas on paper is valid. If you don't capture the opportunity or the gift of an idea, the gift will find someone who will. Personally, I don't agree with everything Gilbert says in her book, but I do believe that if you believe it and it helps you write, that's what matters. If sitting in your chair at a specific time of day brings a mystical muse to you, then sit in your chair. The same is true for standing on your head before you write or downing a few creatively infused espressos. Whatever gets you to write, do it, assuming this something is legal. But you must write whether or not you feel inspired. Gilbert also says, I sit at my desk and I work like a farmer and that's how it gets done. Most of it is not fairy dust in the least. Assuming there's no fairy dust to gather or manuscripts to be found at the end of a rainbow, what is this feeling associated with writer's block? If you can't put your finger on something that might simply be anxiety, depression, or underpreparedness, perhaps we can simply call it fear. Fear is an unpleasant emotion caused by something perceived as dangerous. Fear was very useful back when humans were often in positions of life and death. But these days, now that humans are officially at the top of the food chain, fear is less valuable, or at least the value of fear has changed. Now we must remember that more often than not, there is nothing on the other side of fear. It's no longer a valid master. In fact, it's hardly even a decent backseat driver. Don't listen to it. Don't feed into it. Don't let it stop you. Instead, use it. Fear will always exist, but now it represents a method in which to grow rather than something dangerous that might actually destroy you. In writing, it's best to approach your fear because how you react to fear is how you react to growth. When you choose to be a creative person and allow for that creativity to be a part of your life, you also have to allow for fear to be a part of your life. When I refer to creative living, I am speaking broadly, explains Gilbert. I'm talking about living a life that is driven more strongly by curiosity than by fear. Every writer experiences fear because fear is nothing more than a lack of security, a feeling of the unknown with respect to that which makes you uncomfortable. I'm scared, admitted Harper Lee after the monumental success of To Kill a Mockingbird. When you're at the top, there's only one way to go. A lack of fear comes from comfort, but being comfortable reflects a plateau, not a mountain. Fear comes from being uncomfortable, as does growth. Each of us has an inner thermostat setting that determines how much love, success, and creativity we allow ourselves to enjoy, writes Dr. Gay Hendricks in The Big Leap. When we exceed our inner thermostat setting, we will often do something to sabotage ourselves, causing us to drop back into that old familiar zone where we feel secure. Security is not what's important. Growth is what's important. You need to aim beyond what you're capable of achieving in order to grow as a writer and as a person. If you can't handle the small moments when the stakes are low, you won't show up in the big ones, writes Benjamin Hardy this particular writer has a culture wall in his home where one of the inspiring quotes reads better prolific than perfect so how do you handle the small stakes to later conquer the big stakes consistency for starters but let's break down the four steps every writer needs to understand and differentiate one from one another stage one idea creation and research stage stage two write and unload stage, stage three, revise and edit stage, and stage four, market and promote stage. If you're in the idea creation stage, you're not in the writing stage. If you're in the writing stage, you're not in the revising stage, although you're always somewhat in the marketing and promotion stage, but more on that later. A lot of novice writers are so excited to, quote, have written that they jump the gun during the idea, creation, and research stage and move right into the writing and unloading stage. This doesn't work. And if it does work, it doesn't work long enough to make a career out of it. In the art of memoir, Mary Carr writes, You think you know the story so well. It's a mansion inside your head, each room just waiting to be described. But pretty much every memoirist I've ever talked to finds the walls of such rooms changing shape around her. In order to see the mansion as it will end up on the page, it's vital to understand the differences between those various stages of the writing process. Non-fiction stories require research. Fiction stories require research and patience. Memoirs require research and inner exploration. You know you don't know what you're doing if the lines are dripping out like honey from a jar, says screenwriter Aaron Sorkin, who famously wrote every single episode of The West Wing for four years and countless movies and television series ever since. Take your time, do your research, think about your high-concept idea, then decide to start writing. In simple terms, it's the difference between playing offense and defense. There are different motives behind the different stages of the writing process, Sometimes you charge ahead, sometimes you hang back. To do either well, you need to know where the metaphorical ball is and where you need to be. But if you stay in the story too long without putting it on the page, you will also find ways to suffer. The difference between mad people and sane people is that sane people have variety when they talk story, writes author Maxine Hong Kingston. Mad people have only one story they talk over and over. It's work, it's labor, basically it's supposed to be hard, but it's not impossible. As Chuck Close says, inspiration is for amateurs. The rest of us just show up and get to work. You want it to be a little hard because if it wasn't hard, everyone could do it. Every day that you write is a day someone else didn't write, but every day that you don't write is a day that someone else did write. As you move forward, you pass barriers where others stop and where you may have stopped in the past. The key is to be efficient in the ways in which you work, rather than to kill yourself trying to be effective in things that don't matter. The labor is there to help you grow as a writer. And, the more often you pass these barriers, the easier it will become to pass the next one. As former Navy SEAL David Goggins writes in Can't Hurt Me, the reason it's important to push hardest when you want to quit the most is because it helps you callous your mind. It's the same reason why you have to do your best work when you're least motivated. It's the only way to expand your mind. Embrace a path that appears to be more difficult with clear vision. Vision brings clarity. Clarity brings focus. Focus brings success. Easy choices make a difficult life. Difficult choices make an easy life. Welding car bodies on an assembly line is work, writes Lewis Hyde in The Gift, Labor, on the other hand, sets its own pace. We may get paid for it, but it's harder to quantify. Writing a poem, raising a child, developing a new calculus, resolving a neurosis, invention in all forms, these are labors. In the writing process, if you hit a wall, it's because something is missing. And while the four stages are mentally different from one another, being in one stage doesn't mean you can't go backwards or move in circular directions to eventually move the work forward. The thing that changes is the mindset in which you are thinking and working. Offense, defense, where's the ball, where are you? Ruddy, the therapist mentioned earlier in this chapter, also told me, many writers will metaphorically invite their inner critic to sit down with them while they're in the creative process and wonder why they're getting stuck. Screenwriter Venus Sud writes in the morning and lets her inner critic sleep in. Filmmaker Casey Neistat films vlogs during the day, then edits the following morning. Henry David Thoreau jotted down notes on walks, then wrote in his cabin. You must separate the different stages of the writing process to avoid perceived blocks. If you find that writing is hard, it's because it is hard, writes Williams Zinser. But this creative also notes, A writer will do anything to avoid the act of writing. If you have trouble placing one word after another and are never sure what to cut, when to cut, or how to cut, this isn't necessarily a bad thing. Ironically, the feeling of stuckness is actually a good thing. It's not something to be avoided, it's something on the path to real understanding. If you don't know what to write, you might be closer to finding something truly remarkable. When ideas come easily, it's because they're unoriginal. When ideas are unoriginal, they're also not authentic. So much happens when you sit at your desk and don't have an idea, says author David Sedaris in his master class. Writing is all about selection. You must choose one word over millions from the language, then do it again and again. But as Mae Jemison says, you have something important to contribute and you have to take the risk to contribute it. So what if you could look at the work another way? What if you could be the prankster rather than the martyr? What if writing came easily? If you can find a way to remove the pressure you associate with writing, it can. In a live conversation between perhaps the two most famous novelists alive today, George R. R. Martin asks Stephen King how he writes, quote, So many books, so fast. Representing the two sides of the struggling writer, Martin the martyr, King the prankster, the duo discuss something that might be classified as writer's block, or at least procrastination. Martin concedes he will often think to himself, I've had a really good six months. I've written three chapters. While remarking on King, you've written three books in that time. So what gives? For starters, their goals are the same, but different. King's goal is to write six pages per day, which is likely 2,500 to 3,000 words. Martin's goal, on the other hand, is drastically less. His goal is to write a few chapters across a few months. It's a matter of perspective, both in the process itself, but also the mindset. Mostly I try to get six pages in per day, King says, admitting there are many distractions in life. Entropy tries to intervene, he says. Both of these writers have calloused minds, perhaps even more hardened because both claim they do not use outlines. The idea of Martin keeping the entire story of Game of Thrones in his mind is enough to give anyone writer's block. Despite their output and eventual fame, it's not a good idea for most writers to take this approach to writing. The rules are what makes the writing happen. Breaking the rules is what creates writer's block. It's that simple. Know the rules of your craft. Once you have a firm understanding of the rules, then you're free to break the rules. But if you find yourself stuck, know where you went wrong. Hint, it was when you abandoned the rules. Writing is not easy, but it is simple. Place one word right after the other. Repeat. You don't need complex sentences to express complex ideas, writes Paul Graham. A self-respecting artist must not fold his hands on the pretext that he is not in the mood, writes Chayefsky. Get in the mood. Simplify your idea. Annihilate the perception of writer's block. But here's the final reality of this myth known as writer's block. There is no blank page. If you're writing a novel, there are countless examples to pull from for inspiration. If you're writing a screenplay, there is an act structure to follow. If you're writing genre, there are rules within the genre that the audience or reader actually expects to see. There are even ways in which you riff with yourself on stage at a comedy club. Pete Holmes refers to it as a conversation with your anxiety. It's not about the words, he explains. Holmes, along with Brian Regan, Jerry Seinfeld, and Jim Gaffigan, all present different tones of voice on stage to represent themselves, but also other tones to reflect what the audience might be thinking. They use the anxiety to help shape the act, and they've mimicked their heroes to find their own voices. Weaponize your anxiety, mine from your depression, destroy your underpreparedness. This way, you will realize the reality of what you perceived as a block. There are nothing but sources of inspiration around you. Zinser observes Our daily landscape is thick with absurd messages and products. Notice them. They not only have social significance, they are often just quirky enough to make a lead that's different from everyone else's. If you're stuck right now, right in this moment, write about what makes you angry. Write about the things you care about. Write about the moments of realization in which everything that followed was forced to be different. If disaster strikes, don't waste the moment. Write about it. Report on what ails you. Still nothing? Words still dripping out like honey? Or are you making excuses? If you need a sense of urgency to finish your work, demand a deadline. A deadline weeds out the extraneous and the ordinary, advises Kevin Kelly. It prevents you from trying to make it perfect, so you have to make it different. Different is better. Pixar creatives famously proclaim that they do not finish films. Instead, they quote, release them. This is dedication to story. You can always put in more time and more effort, but at some point, it's time to let go and move on to something else. This is why a deadline is so important. When you have a deadline or even the inclination to simply sit down and write or do nothing else, you will find the time and motivation to write. If you've added everything you can to your routine and found that nothing works, perhaps it's time for subtraction. Perhaps you need to reprioritize your essentials. There's an iconic photo of author E.B. White sitting in his boathouse hard at work. His writing chamber is nothing other than a wooden shack with an open window. There's a wooden desk and a bench. To his right, there's a view of the lake. To his left, there's a barrel that doubles as his wastebasket. In front of him, there's nothing but an ashtray and a typewriter. No distractions, just a man and his thoughts. No distractions, just words on the page. Nothing but the essentials. Author Neil Gaiman describes his writing process this way, I'm allowed to do anything I like as long as it isn't anything. What I love about that is I'm giving myself permission to write or not write, but writing is actually more interesting than doing nothing after a while. It's a solid rule for writers. You don't have to write. You have permission not to write, but you don't have permission to do anything else. For many of these pre-tech writers, it was more satisfying to end the day with balls of paper on the ground than a completed manuscript on the computer. Sometimes, you need to bring in the physical to support the mental. But if you find yourself doing nothing too often, you just need to start writing. Remove the editor, remove the pressure. Remove the mind if you have to, but get your hands moving. Write about something you can hardly remember, suggests Chuck Palahniuk in Consider This, his book on writing. Your body is a recording device, more effective than your mind. Use your other senses, like scent, taste, smell, and the small tangibles that make up memories you can hardly remember. But then the real act of writing should come in the revise and edit stage. This is when you should finally give pressure a seat at the table. This is when you need to feel pressure to make the work something spectacular. The prankster is still driving, but the martyr is riding shotgun. As Marie Carr says, a story told poorly is life made small by words. If you've read this far and still don't feel like you have a call for which to take action, consider this. If you feel anxiety so much so that you can't pull a word on the page, you're not a writer. Do something else. If you feel depression so much so that you can't put a word on the page, you're not a writer. Do something else. If you feel underpreparedness so much that you can't put a word on the page, you might be a writer, but you're stalling. You're skipping over the research or trying to milk a good idea that isn't a great idea. You're a wishful writer, not a willing writer. Be willing to work or do something else. It's not much more complicated than that. Once you're willing to put in the work, then there is real magic or, quote, fairy dust to discover. The longer you can be with the unresolved thing, the more beautifully it will resolve itself, insists Tom Sponbauer. But if you find yourself waiting on something, a response for a request, an outsider's opinion, an internal idea to come, then you're not doing enough. This is because you should be busy, but not overwhelmed. You should have several projects in the works, rather than one linear path, so you can move in lateral directions. This defeats the so-called block and allows you to work during perceived writing blocks. Focusing on one project at a time is ironically another spot where people get stuck. It sounds counterproductive, but in order to hit the target, you must first pull the arrow towards yourself. This doesn't mean multitasking. It means changing routes rather than waiting for repairs to happen. Sometimes the car is in the shop, but you have the gift of using the whole garage. Simply put another roadster on the highway. You control the pace and the direction. To steal from Gilbert one last time, You already know so much more than you think you know. You are not finished. You are merely ready. She goes on to say, If greatness should ever accidentally stumble upon you, let it catch you hard at work. Your own reasons to create are reasons enough. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. Before you take off, I want to give you a free gift. I'm giving you my first book, Ink by the Barrel, for free. That's the digital download and audiobook at brockswinson.com. Inside this book, you'll learn how to annihilate writer's block by embracing Elizabeth Gilbert's playful trickster mentality. Learned to weaponize your anxiety with kevin kelly's different is better approach and learned how to defend your time with ryan holiday's calendar anorexia mindset there's just a few other ideas in the book ink by the barrel it's also based on over 400 interviews i've done right here on creative principles So go steal that book right now, Ink by the Barrel, to learn how to be a prolific writer. You can get your copy, that's a digital download and audiobook, at brockswinson.com, B-R-O-C-K-S-W-I-N-S-O-N.com. If it's your first time here, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Make sure you hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode.